Hello everyone and welcome back to Checks Into the Pits. So April is around the corner and so is the hype for the many, many races of this 2021 season. Yeah, definitely. And in this installment, we'll have the time to discuss nearly everything that is going on in the championships that we love, starting with the very first upcoming Formula One race of the year. So Marty, what are your expectations going into this boring Grand Prix weekend? So, um... Talking about expectations, I kind of decided not to set any of those um, because when I do, I feel like everything goes to shit. So um, I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think the the interesting thing, one of the interesting things, will be actually seeing what Ferrari can do after last season, which was not exactly amazing for them. Um, I, I think. There are many things actually that we can look at with, with some interest. Also like Sergio Perez at Red Bull. Yeah, definitely. Very interesting thing. Uh, obviously Vettel at Aston Martin. That should be very interesting too. We, we have, you have plenty of stuff to, to talk about actually to, to yeah, set expectation yeah, on. Definitely, definitely. Uh, actually, like on the topic of Ferrari, it's quite, it's quite strange the situation at the moment if you think about it because on one side you got like especially italian national media that are going to be like uh, are trying to 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 create a bit of hype around it because you know let's face it in italy especially um for our international listeners out, out there uh, the thing is like formula one and both sports are um, an integral part of italian culture but mostly uh you know relating to ferrari so what national media frequently try to do is try to create some hype around Ferrari um, because, you know, viewing figures and audiences drop like drastically if Ferrari doesn't do well. Uh, so you can imagine how, you know, terrified uh, the broadcasters and the media are of another, you know, underwhelming Ferrari season. So we have them round going like, oh yeah, Ferrari has been able to, you know, improve on the power and they, they got back that 40 horsepower they were missing uh, last year. And then on the other side, you get, I don't know, Binotto and Leclerc uh, all saying, oh yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be a very difficult season, this one as well. Um, to be honest, like normally I would say sandbagging, but in this case, I'm more inclined to believe like Binotto and Leclerc. So yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see uh, where Ferrari is going this year, but I generally don't think it's going very far. Yeah, me too. You know, I kind of think that when the media tend to do the thing of creating a lot of hype around Ferrari and stuff, I can understand why they do that, but I really think it's counterproductive because in the end, you, you can talk about, yeah, Ferrari is going so well. This season is going to be totally different. They had a chance to, you know, you know, I don't know, solve any problems they had before. Yeah, I mean, I understand that you're creating the hype, but if the reality is not what you're telling the people, then that becomes a problem. And if like Binotto and Leclerc are saying that, you know, they haven't been doing so good, which was what we were expecting, by the way. Yeah. It kind of becomes counterproductive in my opinion, because then the people who read the newspapers and stuff and, you know, watch television talking about Ferrari, um, they all 
obviously hope that the system can be good. And when the drivers tell you, well, don't think it's going to be so good, then there's a problem because they're going to be pissed off. Yeah. So. Now, I mean, yeah, it's, it's always a conundrum, isn't it? Like for the media, especially because on one side, I understand again their need to, to create interest around something that potentially is not very interesting. But also on the other side, like if you keep, you know, pretending that things are going to be okay, you're effectively like setting false expectations that I think are going to bite you in the back in terms of like respectability and in terms of how, you know, trustworthy you are as a source. You know, it's always that thing, like you either go with the clickbait stuff and with the, you know, wishful thinking uh, that, you know, some some kind of fans may may like. Um, and yeah, you can get like better viewing figures for sure, but then you're not really like respected in the industry. And honestly, like when you go abroad and you and you discuss the topic of, you know, the international media outlets and stuff like that, like most of the people will tell you that they do not pay too much attention to, to Italian sources. Um, you know, there are some exceptions, of course, like for example, Turini has always been like a, a very reliable source and yeah. he's definitely very insightful when it comes to Ferrari. And of course, there are a few, you know, truly big names in the motorsport world um, in terms of, you know, motorsport journalism coming from Italy. But yeah, like the, the general perception is, uh, yeah, you know, their perception, their perception is so skewered by needing to, to make it all about Ferrari that they end up being not very reliable at all. Yeah, I mean, it's good making it all about Ferrari in Italy, but when Ferrari actually deserves it and, you know, that's not what has been going on for the past year. So yeah, yeah I don't know. Maybe a change of policy would be a good thing, but um, you know, I'm not too too hopeful about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to say, like in my case, I mean, you guys know me at this point. I'm not, I'm not saying any anything new. I'm not giving new information, but you know, I haven't been particularly excited about Formula One um, in a while because it's it's not like my favorite championship to follow and whatever. But like in general, I'm particularly not excited about Ferrari. Like, I think that this year is going to be like very interesting, um, you know, under many, many perspectives, um, you know, the obvious and the a bit less obvious, but Ferrari really doesn't come into the picture for me. Like, for example, uh, apart from what we were saying before, like Paris to Red Bull and actually fun fact, um, Marti, I was listening back to, to um, you know, our past episodes and exactly like one year ago, the episode of March 2020, we were doing like a dream team, um, you know, sort of scenario. And I said that my dream team would have been like uh, Verstappen and Paris together. Crazy. Like, yeah, like that, that, that at the point, at that point was like, you know, just winging it is not doesn't even have to be plausible. It's just something that I would like to see. Like it wasn't in the picture at all. But yeah, turns out I was right. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, insane, insane. No, yeah, I mean, that's definitely very interesting to me because uh, like I said at the time, uh, they are on a very different 
you know, stage in their career. I think that, you know, Sergio hasn't had the, the true chance to, to prove his worth in his uh, almost 10 years in the sport. But again, I mean, he is a bit older than Max. I think that this may be one of like his final shots, potentially. Well, Max is still, I mean, he's been in Formula One for a while, but is definitely still on the rise because he was the youngest ever to, to join Formula One. Um, so yeah, there are different stages, but they're both equally hungry, in my opinion. Like, I don't see Sergio conceding anything to Max in, in, the, in the coming season, especially because this is his first real season in a top team. Um, and also because, yeah, we've seen it's just not his style. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's very interesting under that regard. And I love to see like the power dynamic going on um, around them. And also like, Marty, maybe you, you, you want to add something on this because I remember we, we discussed this like uh, quite a few times. I think that I wouldn't say that it's underrated because it's not, but there hasn't been enough talks about um, Yuki Tsunoda uh, right yeah. now. And I think that deserves consideration. Yeah, absolutely. Like, first of all, I think, you know, I think we, we all think this, that Red Bull and AlphaTauri in general did not handle some situations too well. Yeah. But, the you know, the aftermath hasn't been so bad, in my opinion, like in terms of lineups, <laughs> um, obviously. Sergio Perez at Red Bull is something crazy. I mean, I, I still can't get my head around it. It's it's amazing to me. I, I can't <laughs> wait to see what, what he's going to do. Also because, as you said, he is extremely hungry. And, you know, it's not something that he, he tried to keep secret. So yeah. that should be really interesting. Uh, also with a teammate such as Max Verstappen, that should be very interesting. Um, let, let's just hope it... It doesn't go a bad, bad way, but yeah. Um, and as to Yuki Tsunoda, I think, I think, I, I don't know, I don't think, I hope that they won't burn him completely <laughs> because yeah. he's so young, so talented. It would be really bad to, to see him get in a bad place, but I'm, I have hope for him. I really do. I really think he's a very talented driver. He has done so much in such a short amount of time. It's crazy to think that, like, what, what was it? Two years ago, a bit less than two years ago, we saw him in the paddock at Monza um, doing, what was that they were doing? Euro, Euro Formula Open. Yeah, it was like September Euro. 2019. It's insane. Yeah. And now he's in Formula One. That's yeah, that's a glow up. That's a real glow up. Yeah, definitely. No, but to be honest, like, yeah, as you were saying, you know, it's, it's not news that Red Bull handles things badly. But in comparison, I have to say, as strange as it sounds, I think that they handled the Albon situation way worse than they handled the Gasly situation. Yeah. And that's saying a lot. You know, that was bad in itself already. Uh, but yeah, I think that at least, you know, Pierre, eventually, I, I can even like come to terms with the reasoning behind the decision. Like, of course, at the time, it was pretty shocking. Um, and of course, it was handled badly in, in terms of, you know, from, from the mental ha um, aspect. Like, you can't just say 
you know, to this guy like a week before, you know, firing him that is going to be fired. It's it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. But, you know, it's a cutthroat environment. You know, it's something that is partially expected. But I think that the reasoning behind it wasn't so bad. It was like, okay, it's not that Pierre is not fast. It's just that, that Pierre clearly doesn't work well in the Red Bull, uh, you know, garage. Yeah. He can do better in the Alpha Tauri garage. Um, and I think that was eventually like the, the right choice because you have like a very strong contender for Alpha Tauri, somebody that can fight for, for wins and podiums. And I mean, considering it's a, it's a sister company, it's, it's only good for your image, really. Um, and I seriously hope that Pierre doesn't, you know, doesn't, you know, try all that much to, to get back into Red Bull because I think he, he kind of found his element. Well, for Alex, yeah, to be honest, like he was simply tossed out of Formula One. It was all, it was all very strange because not many people remember this, I think. But yeah. when he came into, into Formula One, um, he actually had a contract in place with Nissan for Formula E. And, you know, you can think all you want about Formula E, but definitely, like, it's a big step in a racing driver's career nowadays. Like, you can like it, you can love it, you can hate it, no matter what. But, you know, the pay is very good. You get international recognition. It has become a Formula, you know, a world championship. So, yeah, it would have been it would have been a good scenario for Alex. And basically, he was pulled away from that contract, which was already signed. And basically, like um, Helmut Marko himself with the with all the Red Bull team decided, you know, to to pay for for the resolution of the contract. So they actually had to pay a penalty for that just to get him into Formula One. And, you know, the way he got in and then the way he got out seriously makes you, you know, feel like Alex was really just a commodity for Red Bull, like somebody that they needed. And as soon as they didn't need him anymore, like they tossed away. I think that, you know, in comparison and in hindsight, they've been better with Pierre. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing is that they really handled the album situation really, really bad. It was, it, it was so dirty. I, I didn't like it at all. And, you know, saying that it was worse than how they treated it, Pierre Gasly is saying a lot because, yeah. you know, that situation wasn't handled very well either. So that, that's crazy. That's crazy. My God. Yeah, actually, I've recently read like um, uh, the Pierre Gasly column on um, yeah. the Players' Tribune, which, uh, you know, honestly, like I, I suggest, it's it's a recommended reading for everyone because it's a, it's beautiful, very touching. Um, it's about, you know, his close friend and late uh, Formula 2 racer, Antoine Aubert, you know, how we feel about Aubert, guys. So yeah, let, let, let's not open that wound again, shall we? But yeah, it, it's, a, it's a touching column, but also like gives a bit of um, insight on, on what was it like for him and Red Bull. And yeah, I, I mean, I seriously like hurt for him uh, reading those words because you know, it shows that he didn't get the support he needed. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely shown in, in that article. It's really beautiful, by the way. I wanted to talk to you about that, uh, but I forgot to. It was, 
it was a very good article and indeed it is a recommended reading for, for everyone. But you, you know what I think that the very interesting thing about uh, Perez being at Red Bull now is that I've always felt um, like at Red Bull, there has only been one spot for, for a driver. And, you know, they tend not to handle things as many other teams because you can't see that at Red Bull, the star is Max Verstappen and that's it. And the second driver is just a second driver. They really do not care that much about a second driver. So yeah, definitely. What is really interesting is that I don't think Sergio Perez will be okay with being that kind of second driver. So I, I can't wait to see all the dynamics in the Red Bull team because I think something is going to change. Definitely. But, you know, like if you think about it, I think that the past couple of years I really, you know, somehow made us forget what Rebel was before Daniel Ricardo left. Yeah. Like if you think about it, I think we're, we're, we're trying to get him back that type of dynamic. Like yeah. Daniel left for this exact reason. Like he was not going to be, you know, tossed around as a second driver because you can't do that to Daniel Ricardo. Like that's one thing you cannot do. But at that time we had such amazing fights uh, on track and we had wins and podiums for both of them. And you could really feel like that was one of the best rivalries you could get on the grid. So, you know, from the perspective as a fan and of, you know, someone also like kind of working in the industry, like this pairing is is going to be amazing if you think about it, because it's going to, to, to get that type of feeling back for Red Bull. Uh, well, the past couple of years have been, you know, from that perspective, pretty underwhelming for them. Like, of course, you had, you know, Max always competing for the top spots and truly showing a consistency and a racecraft and a talent and even a maturity that not many people expected of them. Like, that guy is seriously, like, the, the biggest thing to come to Formula One since, I don't know, Hamilton and Vettel times, that's for sure. Like, I don't believe Leclerc is the next big thing, but, you know, it's common knowledge that I don't believe yeah. that. Well, um, me neither, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, we certainly were excited to see what Max was going to do, but we seriously didn't care about the other side of the garage. And now, maybe potentially having somebody bringing the fight back to, to Max is going to be amazing. Something that I really want to see. Yeah, things are going to get spicy for sure. I'm sure about this and I can't wait. I can't wait for this. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. But also, like, there, there are a couple more, more interesting factors. Of course, like, if you, if you don't consider, like, the possibility that Lewis might not win uh, an eighth title. I think that that's going to happen. Like as much as Mercedes pretend like they, they didn't understand the car and they didn't get the car. Like I think this weekend they're going to be like, okay, like uh, we, we were kind of kidding. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to win. Like it's not like I expect uh, a first win for Mercedes, but I mean, they're definitely, they're definitely still the team to beat. It's insane to think otherwise. And Lewis Hamilton is still the driver to beat. 
So if you take that out of the equation, we also get like uh, Sebastian potentially being on a competitive car again, you know, fighting for podiums, fighting for wins. Uh, Racing Point definitely fought for podiums and actually got a win last year. So, you know, that's something that realistically can happen, especially with Sebastian Vettel. And then, of course, you have like the, the, the McLaren duo, which I think, apart from the comic relief factor of it, like the meme factor of it, which honestly, yeah, it's fun, it's entertaining, but it's not exactly why we're here, right? Um, I think it's going to be in interesting, like as a power dynamic between the team, because we have like a super experienced driver that is not actually like part of the family yet, while, you know, on the other side, you have one of the youngest guys on the grid, that has been with McLaren for years because he was in the junior program as well. So I think it's also interesting to to see how the decision making process is going to be handled. Like, are you going to recognize the fact that Lando has contributed to the success of McLaren for, you know, quite a few years now? Or are you going to, you know, give a bit more importance to the fact that you have Daniel Ricciardo on the other side of the garage? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be interesting for sure, too. We have a lot of interesting things to, to look at for this season. Um, you know, I think the majority of the people know that I am not a big fan of Daniel Ricciardo. That's just how things are for me. I don't really like him. Um, I, I mean, I yes, I do. I do acknowledge that he is a very talented driver, but it, it just hands there for me. But you know what I was noticing that as as we may talk about them being very funny and, you know, having, yes, this comic relief aspect uh, to, to the McLaren garage, I kind of noticed that during the car presentation and even sometimes during the tests that they kind of seem not to stand each other. Really? Have you noticed yeah. that? I, don't, I haven't paid close attention to it, gotta be honest, so I, I can't be the judge of that, but I trust your gut instinct. It's just like a, a feeling, I, I'm not sure about that, I mean, no no one of them said, oh, I can't stand him, but I, I kind of get this feeling, you know, during the car presentation, I remember they were not even looking at each other, and when they did, it was so cold. You could feel the cold between them. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it was just because they didn't know each other so well yet, or I don't know. But the, the general feeling, I think, was that of them not getting really along together. Well, I think that, you know, people tend to underestimate because, of course, like Daniel is a funny guy and has always been like kind of the, the, the jokester of the of the grid. But I mean, something that must be taken into consideration is that they have like quite a significant age gap. Like Daniel is 31, um, going into 32, I think. Yeah, yeah. because he's an 89 while Lando is from 1999. So they have like a 10 year uh, gap between them. And I mean, as, as much as you can say, like age is just a number. And of course you can form friendships with like older people, but it's not going to be like the same thing as having somebody, you know, closer to your age, like Carlos definitely was. Like they, they still have, you know, Ten, a 10 years difference between them. So yeah, I honestly, you know, can't say if they, they like each other or not, 
but definitely you have to take that into consideration in imagining you know their their friendship and their relationship and their approach to each other like there's always going to be like an age imbalance between them so i don't think we can quite expect the the same you know approach uh, that maybe lando would have with someone like closer to his age and of course same way goes for daniel yeah yeah sure sure um you know what i was thinking while you were saying about the the age gap that that's the same about the same age gap that there is between Vettel and Stroll, because if I'm not wrong, Stroll is from 98. Yeah, he's a 98 guy. Yeah. So it's an 11 year difference. It's it's quite similar. What do you think of it? No, actually, I think that, you know, we're, we're kind of underestimating the, the relationship that, that might happen, like between Lance and uh, and Sebastian, because yeah. as much as I, you know, I can't say I don't like someone because honestly, I don't know them personally. So who, who am I to say how their personality is and how their character is? But definitely like Lance for his age, um, he's a very like laid back guy. I don't think he cares a lot about, you know, social media and, you know, all, all that gist. He looks like a guy who's really just, honestly living his, his life outside of the spotlight despite definitely like having the potential to be in the spotlight because if you consider you know who Lance is he's a Formula One driver he's a you know not ugly guy and no judge of beauty but he's definitely like a decently attractive guy he's young he's extremely rich like honestly he could do whatever and get away with whatever but he decides to, you know, keep it laid back, keep it simple uh, and try not to, to boast on social media that much. Sebastian is pretty much like the same thing. So I think that, you know, from a you know, personality perspective, they're actually more compatible than we might imagine. They also have some sort of a very dry humor. I think that... Yeah. Seb is a bit more comfortable with the attention and the cameras because, of course, he's a four-time world champion and he's been in the business for so long. So it can't, it comes out more when it comes to Seb. But also, like if you hear the interviews from Lance, you can see that he has a dry humor. He just doesn't want to be like you know misunderstood because honestly, he gets so much much flack that he doesn't deserve, in my opinion, not as much as least. Yeah. So yeah, I think that they're going to be like two very compatible people. Um, and I agree with Seb when he says that he can learn something from Lance as well. I mean, Lance has been with Racing Point for a, for a couple of years now. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be something that, you know, plays in his favor. He knows the car, um, he knows the engine because he's had like... A Mercedes engine under his butt for quite a few years now in Williams first and in Racing Point uh, later. So yeah, no, I'm actually interested. I don't think we're going to see much of them like in the media in terms of how the relationship plays out because yeah, it may not be like as much of a wow factor as I don't know Lando and Daniel, but I think it's going to be cool. Yeah, me too, absolutely. Also because. Uh, you can't see that they're very similar when it comes to at least the character we see from, from the outside, from the very outside. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting. I, I think that kind of relationship that can develop is like 
older brother, younger brother. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be really good. I hope it will be it will be like this because I also I was noticing that while you were talking, I, I went to Google and I Googled Lance Stroll because I couldn't remember his sun sign and he is a Scorpio. So <laughs> they are two water signs that that can be a really good thing. Oh, uh, always Marty coming in hot with the, with the <laughs> astrology stuff. No, yeah, he's a um, what? Seb is a cancer, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember it. See? Great. Great, Great. job, Aurora. Um, no, yeah, I mean, definitely. I don't see them, like, I don't see Lance considering um, Sebastian like a mentor figure because I think we've seen in the past that Lance doesn't like the idea of mentorship. Yeah. At least, like, in, in the conventional sense. Like, I remember at that time he got so much hell for saying, like, I don't consider Felipe Massa to be my mentor. I think that, yeah, partly might have been a bit cocky of him to say, but also partly I think he was just misunderstood. Like, yeah. he, he didn't mean to be offensive or rude to Felipe. I, I don't think that was the, the, the point of it. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, as you say, like an older, younger brother uh, type of approach is probably something that, you know, strikes a better balance with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thinking about this at Red Bull, it's going to be totally different. Now that I think of this kind of relationship, like I nah. know, it's going to be so different at Red Bull. And I can't wait to see that. Absolutely. There's pretty much the same age gap, right? It's maybe it's a bit less than, than 10 years. But yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Sergio and Max are still like in different stages in their career and still about a decade of age difference. Yeah, that's if you think sweet. about it, like um, out the, the 1990, 1990, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, like it's even like, oh, I figured he was older, I did seven years. No, it's nice. I think he was like from you know 88, 89. Yeah, me too. I didn't think he was from 1990, but yeah, okay. I mean, there's still you know a significant age gap, um, to play about, and also, like, if you think about it. You know, the grid has had like significant age gaps in the past in the past years. Yeah. Uh, it's probably like one of the youngest grids ever. We have so many young people coming in, which is something that, you know, I can only salute as a good thing, especially like a, as a young person. But we have, I don't know, like Ocon and Alonso and uh, Raikkonen and Giovinazzi. Like those are all like significant age gaps. I think that the closer in age at this point are like Ferrari, um, Alfa Tauri for sure, which is yeah. probably like the youngest, the youngest pairing on the grid, if you think about it, because Yuki, yeah. Yuki is from two, the year 2000, which is insane. Crazy. About it. Oh my God. Like, I, I don't want to sound like, oh my God, that, that type of, the type of millennial that thinks she's so old or everything, because I mean, I'm a 97, but to me, like imagining that a guy from 2000 is on the Formula One grid and he's turning like 21 this year. I don't know. It sounds, sounds a bit weird. Doesn't sound right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy also because you know when we I, I don't know if this only happened in Italy but I don't think so when we were at school I remember like the guys from 2000 were like bullied because they were from 2000 yeah so definitely no it were... happened 
Yeah, I mean, they were younger, they were the underdogs, basically. Yeah, and... exactly. I remember, like, the, the shock uh, at my high school, like, the first day of school, when we realized that it was going to be the first day of high school for people from 2000. Like, yeah. we were like, oh, my God, seriously? The guys from 2000 are starting high school? It's insane. And, I mean, again, like, I'm a 97. Like, it's not that, that much of a difference. But it's just, you know, that 2000 that strikes a different chord, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy because also the fact that we we think so, we, we used to think so lowly of them just because they were yeah. in 2000. It's so Ugh, crazy. 2000. We've always like consider them as children. I'm a 98 for God's sake. Like there's a two, two year difference and that's it. Uh, it's crazy to think about it. Also because like, I don't know if you noticed, but the guys and the girls from 2000 on kind of seem older than us already. Like, yeah, sure than us at least physically so yeah physically yeah because i think like uh, um, i mean again oh my god we're sounding like s such boomers Martin. <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean we get a boomer pass for today it's okay it's okay now i think that to be honest like at least in my case i mean i used to yeah wear makeup and you know wear fashionable clothes and stuff like that but I wasn't like that into it and really like even my, my, my classmates, both girls and boys, like we weren't that intense with all of this stuff as much as they are right now. Because I think that uh, when we were like in high school and stuff like that, um, social media weren't as pervasive as they are now. So we didn't, you know, exactly always feel the need to be, you know, dressed and uh, to to the nines and pretend like we're older and anything of sorts. Because of course, like when when I started high school, like Instagram was li literally just born. Like not many people had Instagram at all. Like and when I finished high school, yeah, it was. I mean, everybody had Instagram, but. There were no stories like it was it was yeah. still a very you know it was still a very chill place to be honest it's not like we felt the need to post every single day and stuff like that but nowadays like social media take up so much of their of their you know social space especially now considering like the covid 19 situation and everything it's honestly like their only chance at, at socializing that i think like their different approach to social media also means like a different approach to growing up. My yeah. God, I sound like such a boomer. Damn. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> well, going back to motorsports, um, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the last thing we can talk about because uh, I don't know how long we've been recording for. But... Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're close <laughs> to our to our mark, forty five minute mark. Right. So, uh, did you watch anything from Drive to Survive? I already know the answer, but. No, actually, I might surprise you. Yes. Did you? Yes. It's in I know it's insane. I know it's insane. Uh, but um, I've spent a couple of days at my boyfriend's um, and he was like really intense about watching Drive to Survive. He was yeah. like, Aurora, please, let's watch it together. Let's watch it together. And I was like, baby, I don't like it that much. But OK, <laughs> I mean, let, let's watch it. Uh, because you you know me, I mean, we've discussed it like a long time. First of all, I don't have Netflix, so like <laughs> it's difficult for me. But secondly, like I, I don't like the, the over dramatic tone. Yeah. Um, 
and I mean, it's not very realistic. Come on, for us, for like, no, it's not at all. Exactly, for you know, people in the industry and even like hardcore motorsport fans, we we know that's not how things go. Uh, but I mean, as long as you take it like at face value as entertainment, then it's okay. I haven't finished it to be honest. Like we haven't finished it. I think I watched like the 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 first six episodes out of eight so i'm missing like the final two episodes you um, watched more than me actually oh really i only watched like three and then i got bored and shut it down <laughs> no actually like i think that the very the first like two or three episodes were like the the worst like yeah. uh, I, re- I really didn't like it um i think that the ferrari episode was possibly like the the closest to reality and also yeah. i don't know have you watched like sebastian banter it's just yeah amazing Absolutely yeah amazing. yeah like the first episode was amazing exactly. when i saw like a ferrari episode you know read on twitter like the first episode about ferrari i went like yes let's watch this one and then who cares about the rest basically. exactly exactly but some of them were like so unrealistic like for example they 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 try to build up this sort of like norris science rivalry which is just what non-existent <laughs> yeah okay. exactly um and then like they 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 glossed over you know some pretty important stuff like for example there were no nothing about you know, George Russell at, at Mercedes, like nothing about Williams in general, which was a bit sad because to be honest, like, you know, it was just tossed that way, like like one sentence that was like, oh yeah, the, the Williams family had to leave the sport, which is insane. like, seriously, that that's how long you're going to dedicate to the Williams family leaving the sport. Okay. okay. Yeah, insane. Um, and then there were like no special episodes, uh, like about you know Lewis winning the seventh title. Really? Like, yeah, nothing about that. Nothing about that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it was like honestly. Yeah, you gotta take it at entertainment value. But even at entertainment value, I don't find it that enjoyable. And um, you know, in terms of you know the commentary they got for this season. Uh, they got Jenny Go, which I really like. Yeah, me too. Um, as a commentator, and it was nice to see, like, a, a you know, a female face, you know, steadily uh, in on commentary duties. Uh, but then they got Will Buxton, which, like, no offense to Will, but I think he's just so over dramatic and so <sighs> over the top. Like, honestly, I couldn't st- stand his kind of way of. Of doing this, of going about it. So yeah, that that was like seriously a, a bit irritating and a bit of a turn off for me. Yeah, you know, I really think that that's the main reason why they told him, "Hey, do you want to come and comment on the Formula One season?" Because they know how overdramatic he is, and they they probably were like, "Yes, this is the thing we want. We want to be overdramatic." So. Who yeah. can do it better than him? Yeah, honestly, like the the thing with him is that I don't know. May, maybe it's just my feeling, to be honest. But he doesn't sound genuine. Like he's definitely someone who loves what he does. Like that that comes off very easily. Yeah. But he never sounds like completely genuine. It, it sounds like a, a bit constructed for my liking. Uh. So yeah, I mean. Seriously, it's it's a bit of a turn off for me, so that I didn't enjoy. And I also thought that like the Bottas episodes 
episode was like so unnecessarily like you know theatrical and charged and yeah they they made such a big thing of him winning the russian grand prix in the sense of like <laughs> he cracked lewis hamilton mentally because he won the russian grand prix oh, and i was sure. like what sure. <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah i mean my my final you know uh, evaluation of the season is that it wasn't very good but i wasn't expecting it to be good so it's okay <laughs> Yeah, I haven't watched the the Bottas episode, to be honest. But now that you tell me this, I think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to see how far they can bring the trash. So Yeah, exactly. And also, like, unnecessary nudity. Like, we, we get a, sh a couple of shots of uh, him and his uh, physio in a, in a Finnish sauna. And like oh. I, I, I'm sure you've seen the the Twitterverse commenting on it. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. You know, I also saw. Now that I think of it, um, I was on Twitter and scrolling, I came across this picture, which was I don't know, edited in some way, uh, of a story, an Instagram story Lewis Hamilton posted some days before, um, with him basically taking a selfie, um, with his computer uh, mm -hmm. on the background, in the background. And someone basically photoshopped uh, Bottas's ass on, <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> it was so fun. Amazing, oh amazing. But yeah, I mean, unnecessary. And generally like the, that episode is funny because you're like, what, what are they even talking about? They, they, they took like the liberty of, you know, even calling like Nico Rosberg, to say you know how much you need to to crack Hamilton mentally and I mean Nico did it but you know saying that Bottas did it was like <laughs> no ridiculous absolutely yeah. ridiculous I, I I suggest you watch that just you know to have a laugh Marty I will I will I'll let you know Okay, guys, actually, we want to talk a bit about, you know, Sebring and the GT season. But okay, like, let's promise that we're, we're going to do that, uh, you know, next month, especially yeah. because like next month, the GT season will definitely be like completely underway. The season will have started in all of the championships. So we can have like, you know, a proper sit down and talk about this um, in, with the time it deserves. So thank you yeah. very much. Much to everyone who tuned in for this uh, you know march episode and as always we will see you next month yeah thank you for tuning in and see you in april